0: Welcome to Between the Two of Us. I'm Jen Alley. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and my goal is to make therapeutic concepts and neurobiology accessible while normalizing your experience as a human being. In these episodes, I offer practical strategies to improve your relationships and your life. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's dive into today's episode. Do you feel like you and your partner have fallen into routines of co managing, but you are missing that connection and spark? Are you wanting to feel closer to your partner? If so, I have created a free download for you that has specific and practical ideas for creating more connection and intimacy in your relationship. It also has links to additional resources that will be helpful for you to read and listen to. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes called I want to feel closer to my partner or DM me the word relationship on Instagram to receive this PDF download. Hello and welcome back to Between the Two of Us. This is your host, Jen Alley, and we are going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about romantic relationships and partnership and best practices for having a healthy and happy relationship with your partner. So I wanted to first talk a little bit about the Gottman Institute. It was founded by John and Julie Gottman. Maybe you've heard of them. They have a lot of really great books out. Um, And they created what's called the Love Lab in 1986 to study how couples create and maintain friendship and intimacy and how that is related to conflict. So I love their work because it gives us really concrete evidence-based strategies and practices of things that we want to both be doing and avoiding in order to you know, have the best possible marriage that we can. So, I mean, first I want to normalize, right? Like no marriage is happy a hundred percent of the time and relationships go through ups and downs. We go through times where we feel closer and times where we feel less close. But I will say that like for most people, what many times is lacking is clear communication around a few things and also intentionality, I know for my husband and I, especially after having kids, it's really easy to slide into task dividing and just sort of cohabitating, not that we don't love each other, but it's easy just to like forget to play and to forget to spend time, you know, pouring into each other, not really forgetting, just being so exhausted, right, by all the tasks of being a parent and being a person who has a lot of things to do in order to help the family run well. But again, I also know that there are some things that we do um, that can be really helpful. So I'll just give you a couple of those examples before we dive into the research. So one of the things that my husband and I do that really is helpful is when we start to play again. And what I mean by that is is when, for me in particular, it's helpful to get out of the house because I think when I'm at home, there's kind of this running to-do list in the back of my mind. I don't know if you can relate to that. And when we get out, I'm more able to focus on the relationship, on our connection, and on you know just doing things that are fun and engaging and playful. So getting out of the house to do something that we both enjoy. I find that then I'm like, oh, there you are. And We're able to kind of reconnect outside of the tasks of our family. And the other thing that we do that I'm going to be talking more about in upcoming episodes is we do what's called listening partners. And that's just where we're going to take time to really listen to one another um, in a way where we're not interrupting. It's not really like a back and forth. It's just spending time like listening to the other person without agenda or without putting our two cents in. And I would like to talk about that more in upcoming sessions because I actually think that that's a really helpful practice that I'd love to teach you how to do. So let's go ahead and get into some of the research. First of all, the Gottman Institute shows that there are observable patterns in how couples relate and interact in happy versus unhappy couples. And they have been able to predict with 90% accuracy which couples will divorce versus which will stay together. So pretty remarkable um, results in terms of what they're able to predict. So one of the things that I often tell couples when they find their way into my office as a therapist is I tell them that the Gottman Institute says that 69% of relationship problems are unresolvable or perpetual problems. And I want to tell you that not because I want you to feel discouraged, but more because I think we have to learn to communicate and communicate our needs, and we need to learn how to kind of work through or to compromise on some of these unresolvable and perpetual problems. So there are a lot of reasons that bring people into my office as a mental health professional, Things like financial issues, lack of maybe emotional commitment from one person or from both people, too much conflict, or maybe a lack of ability to talk through hard things. I think I see a lot of times people too who have really different patterns of how they're trying to work through conflict and they need some help in terms of getting more on the same page or trying to better understand their partner. I also find that a lot of times one person needs a lot more individual time where the other person is wanting more connection. So there's a little bit of a mismatch um, in terms of their needs of the other person or their need for kind of, you know, their own individual time. There's tons of reasons, of course, that people seek therapy. These are just a few of the things, including, you know, even like conflict over division of labor at home. But I think there's something too, like just about, you know, people have a hard time understandably navigating some of these more sensitive issues or even identifying really like what their underlying needs are. So I just want to encourage you that like one of the problems that I see is that a lot of people do not pursue couples counseling until it's like the 11th hour. And what I mean by that is that they don't try to get help until one person is out or almost out. So I would just encourage you that it's really important to go to couples therapy for maintenance or before you feel like I just don't even want to try anymore. It's very hard at that point. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's much easier to work through things when both people are actively committed to doing so. One of the really cool things that happens is that when you go to couples therapy, you have an extra nervous system that is hopefully regulated, and that is the therapist's nervous system. And so, it just adds a little bit more safety to the room. Um, and I think also a therapist can add some levity or some humor, and also, um, I don't know, just can balance some of the intensity with a little bit more lightness to kind of help us to move through and be able to talk about more complicated or difficult or painful things. And also, you know, just to see some of the patterns maybe from a third party perspective. So I definitely encourage you to seek therapy if you are finding yourself in a space where you could use some help or you are wanting your marriage to feel different or to feel a little bit closer. I know for David, my husband and I, we um had this really amazing opportunity to have an intensive and what that means is just kind of like you know a several hour block with this really amazing therapist and what was so crazy is is that we had this really big aha from it that like I would not have seen because when we're in it it's too close And he would not have seen either. And that takeaway for us was just like how much we were like managing each other's emotions. So things like maybe not telling each other something because we didn't want to upset the other person. We weren't necessarily like having, you know, like I said, super honest conversations about things because we're trying to make sure the other person is okay Um, And we were kind of managing each other in different ways, but I, I don't think I would have seen that had we not had this opportunity to work with somebody who could reflect what they were noticing back to us. So on that note, when you are looking for any therapist, my personal recommendation is to find someone who does experiential work. And basically what that means is we want to be able to bring the problem alive in the therapy room and really track what's happening moment to moment, because we can talk all day about strategies, you know, to implement or how to navigate conflict. But if we are not slowing the process down to really be able to see what is happening and to feel inside of us, to notice what's coming up, it is unlikely that we are going to be able to make Really deep, lasting changes. So, when you find a therapist or a couples therapist, you want to ask them, "Do they work experientially?" And that is something I would really encourage you to do. Um, again, it's a little bit like talking about writing a paper versus like writing a paper. Totally different, right? Like we can talk all day about, like, you know, this is what grammar should look like, and this is what a paragraph structure should look like, but that's so different than actually sitting down and doing the work of writing the paper. Okay, so let's dig into more of the Gottman research. So what they say is is that there are four deadly horsemen. These are things behaviors that they saw predicted unhappiness and divorce. So the first one of these things is called stonewalling. And stonewalling is essentially just like withdrawing to avoid conflict conveying a lot of disapproval or separation or distance. So we've probably all experienced this. Maybe we've done it to the other person. Um, And I I do want to kind of cut in for a second and say, it's not that we're never going to do these behaviors, but if there's a pattern of these behaviors, it can be really toxic and detrimental to the relationship. So stonewalling is not hey I'm feeling really dysregulated or overwhelmed I need to take a break. That is not stonewalling. That is taking an appropriate time out to self-regulate before you re-enter the conversation. Stonewalling is leaving the other person feel like you know, feeling like I don't know if they're even going to come back to talk about this. It's more like shutting down to avoid the conflict. There it's a angry, mean, you know, disengaged, frustrated, upset stance. And it conveys like I didn't like what happened and so I am not going to engage with you anymore. And you know, we might even find ourselves doing some of these behaviors in parenting, so I also want to encourage you to think about these behaviors through the lens of both parenting as well as with your partner. So, let's talk about what can you do instead of stonewalling? it's important that you do what we said before, which is to take a responsible break. It's taking time to soothe yourself. And so that would look like saying like, hey, I'm feeling really overwhelmed or I'm really upset right now. I need a little bit of time to calm down and then I'll come back. So the important part is that you're communicating to your person, I'm not leaving. I'm not disengaging. I just need time to regulate So during that time, you need to be doing something that's going to regulate your system. We know that once you have flipped your lid, it's going to take 20 to 30 minutes in order for your body to return back to a, you know, regulated state. So you might do something like take a walk or you might journal or meditate or, you know, I don't know, go exercise, move your body. So during that time, you don't want to just be stewing, right? And so, and sometimes we might even need more time. We might need to come back to it a day later. But again, the communication with the partner isn't "I'm shutting you out." It's like I want to talk to you about this, but I need to have a break. Now, I do want to also say that sometimes taking—if you're—if that's not something you do in your relationships, for somebody who feels more anxious. In the relationship, that taking a break can feel really unsettling. So what that means too, is that that person, the person who's the recipient needs to also self-soothe during that time. I know for me, my husband would often say like, you know, some version of like he needed a break and I would get so dysregulated and would want to pursue contact with him in order to try to work through it in that moment because it felt like I was being left or abandoned. So, you know, our job is to work on him asking for what he needs in a, you know, more helpful way. So instead of kind of storming off or something, right, is to say like, hey, I need a break. And then my job was to learn how to self-soothe and give him that space and time, knowing that nothing good happens when we're super dysregulated and overwhelmed, right? Like when our lid, like our prefrontal cortex is offline, when our lid is flipped is what we say that about that. Nothing good can come of that. So we wanna get our you know, prefrontal cortex back online. So both of us need time to self-soothe. So the second horseman is defensiveness. And that is, you know, kind of victimizing yourself in order to ward off this perceived attack and then you reverse the blame. So we all know what that feels like when we're feeling defensive. And again, it's not that we're never going to feel defensive, but if you can watch yourself and notice, oh, I'm feeling really defensive right now, it's going to give you that space again to ask for a break or ask what you need. So that way you can take responsibility. Now, this doesn't mean you take responsibility for things that aren't yours, right? We have to have healthy boundaries in this, but it does mean that we can accept your partner's perspective. And if you've done something wrong that you can repair, that you can offer, you know, an apology for that. The third horseman is contempt. And that's just that really like deep feeling of feeling like, Someone like hates or despises me, right? Like it's attacking the sense of like self with an intent to insult or abuse. So it's like that deep, like ugh, like that deep seated yuck. And so this again, if you this is done repeatedly, this is totally deadly to a relationship because, and you know, you can even think about as a parent, like there might be behaviors that your child is doing that like you really don't like but we want to communicate and separate the person from the behavior right we don't want to we don't want to push this feeling of dislike and despise and contempt on the person so the anecdote to that is just to build a culture of deep appreciation sometimes especially when we're in a hard time we might have to really focus or build a gratitude practice around our partner's positive qualities or and find gratitude for their positive actions. You know, it is true. It's like whatever we our brain focuses on is what we see. It's that that idea that, like, if you're gonna get a new car, you see that car everywhere. And that's just because of our salience network, right? It's like what our brain is telling us to look for. So if we are looking for what our partner is doing wrong, that is what we're gonna see. Now. It's not to say we're just like, oh, Pollyanna, like everything's lovely. No, it's not like that, right? We do need to communicate about things that are upsetting or bothering us. But we also need to remember that if things are going poorly in our relationship right now, it is likely that our brains are also skewed a little bit negatively and we are actually looking for what is wrong. So we need to take time to notice what they're doing right, to notice and communicate what they're doing well. And finally, the fourth horseman is criticism. This is verbally attacking someone's personality or someone's character. So when we are in conflict, right, if we are going to like you this, you that, right, you we're attacking them again instead of the behavior. We're not asking for what we need, we're attacking. That is going to be very problematic for the relationship over time. So again, We want to use a gentle startup. We want to about talk about our feelings. We want to use I statements. In fact, I will in another episode talk more about the nonviolent communication again, which is where we're just going to identify like what was the situation, what were, you know, what's the story that I'm making up about what this means, because we're all making up stories and narratives all the time. Then we're going to communicate our feelings and our unmet need and our request. So If you find yourself engaging in these behaviors often, this is something you want to take a look at. You want to get some support or some help around. And of course, we want to always repair when we notice that we have done some of these because every relationship has some unhealthy behaviors in it. So I wanted to return to something that we were talking about before, which is just the importance of emotional engagement. You know, it's easy, again, for people to slide into being emotionally disengaged and People who are emotionally disengaged divorce an average of 16.2 years after their wedding. So in general, right, we know that we need to have emotional engagement. We need to have skin in the game, so to speak. We need to care. Again, I think the most important thing is just across time, we need to have consistent care and time invested in the relationship. Now, I do want to normalize that one of the biggest transitions and impacts on a couple's happiness is when a child is born. The first three years of the baby's life, 67% of parents experience a large drop in couple satisfaction. And that makes sense. It's just the attention, you know, is distracted away from the relationship. People are tend to be exhausted and just have so much else on their plate. And so again, that would be a time when I would really encourage couples to spend time just with the two of them. If they can get a sitter or have a, you know, family member, watch the baby or the children, it's so important just to get that invested time. So we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the Gottman Institute's sound house relationship theory. So I will link, this in the show notes so you can actually look at the physical you know house that the Gottman Institute has built so to speak for us but if you just imagine kind of a basic house that you might draw they talk about what makes up a sound house or a stable house in terms of relationships so the first floor is all about building your love maps it's like I need to get to know my partners in our world. And I think as when we're dating, we're really good at this. Like we spend a lot of time investing in like, what is my partner like? What are they not like? What was their childhood like? What bothers them? What was their, what are their traumas? What do they like to do to relax? Who are their friends? You know, and we really take that time to ask questions and to talk. And then I think what happens as we get busy and we also think we maybe already know those things, but we have to remember that our partner is a dynamic person who is always changing. And so getting to know our partners in our world, taking that time to really find out about them is the, is the, you know, first floor. It's the basics. It's what we need to continue to do. It's not a one and done. Floor two is all about sharing fondness and admiration so this is verbal affirmation and I want to tell you some people really struggle with this and so if that is you this is going to be something you're going to have to stretch with right but it's sharing what you like and appreciate in your partner. And I think about how important that is because we don't know, right? Like we don't just read people's minds and so sometimes people might, you know, think, "Oh, well, my partner knows how much I appreciate them." But if you're not saying those things, there that's that's a problem in the relationship. And so I would just encourage you to start in big and little ways, really sharing your admiration and your fondness and even, you know, your affection, what you appreciate about with your partner. Floor three is all about turning toward your partner. And so this is about when you need attention or support or comfort from your partner, You will do or say something to elicit a response. And the Gottmans call this a bid for connection. So for example, if I'm reading a book and I laugh out loud, that's a bid for connection maybe. And then my partner says, oh, hey, like what's so funny, right? And then I, I tell them. So it also could be maybe I'm having a bad day and I'm kind of like looking unhappy and my partner can say, hey, Jen, what's wrong? Like what's going on? You look sad or you look upset. So, turning toward means that when your partner has some sort of verbal or nonverbal bid for connection, that you turn toward that, that you're both turning toward the other person. Now, if you are consistently turning away, like, I don't even want to know what she's upset about, or ignoring the laugh or you know just not turning toward like I don't have time for this right now it will cause damage and disaster for any relationship so it's really important that we spend time turning toward our partner that we offer bids for connection whether it's like really explicit like hey would you like to spend some time with me this afternoon or you know would you like to go on a date with me but or Or also those more implicit bids for, you know, for connection. So we want to really be in each other's corner. We want to consistently creating safety for our partner to be able to request a bid for connection to express their needs. And we also want to be turning toward each other. The fourth floor is all about having a positive perspective. It's essentially trying to see the best in each other and assume the best the most of the time. This again is something that like when we are spending time playing and investing in each other, we know each other's hearts. It's much easier to see the best in each other and assume the best. When things are going poorly or negatively, right? A lot of times we are going to be quick to, maybe criticize, to be looking for the worst, looking for what's wrong instead of what's right. So we want to try to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We want to be on the same team. And again, kind of based on what I said before, when this isn't going well, we want to try to start looking for what's good in the relationship. And again, I do want to kind of interject that this is not for couples necessarily where there is like domestic violence going on, right? This is for couples where there is more equal power and that we are just, you know, trying to work on our happiness baseline and work on having a more secure attachment and a happier, healthier relationship. The fifth floor is all about managing conflict. This is about what do we do when conflict shows up because conflict is an inevitable part of life. Again, and if we're not having any conflict, that might be a problem too, right? If we're not ever talking about anything that's wrong, that also might be a problem. So during conflict, we want to accept our partner's influence. So when our partner expresses that they need something from us or they're seeing something happen in the relationship, it's an important thing to really take those things seriously, to listen with an open mind. Again, it doesn't mean you have to take everything in, but it does mean that you need to be open to having conversations. And again, as we said before in the podcast, to self-soothe or take breaks when you feel things getting heated and to seek support if you're not able to work through some of these conflicts or you know, if, if you're noticing a really negative pattern emerging. So floor six is all about making your life dreams come true. So first of all, we have to know, right? Like what are our life dreams? This is all about supporting each other and reaching our life goals. It's about planning things together. It's about wanting what's best for the other person. We wanna promote our person. We want them to achieve their goals. We want really good things for them because we care so deeply about them. Floor 7 is about creating shared meaning. This is the very top of the house. So this again is is like what are the practices or traditions or rituals or things that we can do that are creating our shared world together, our shared, you know, life together. And again, this is intentional stuff. It's not just like what happens by the wayside. So One of the things I was thinking about doing this year with my husband is like really sitting down and planning some of this stuff out more explicitly. I think we often are talking about goals and dreams and desires and wishes, but I think there's something about like setting aside some time to have an intentional practice of like, what do we want our year to look like? What do we want our household and our family and our couple life together to look like? So the walls of this are the weight-bearing walls of commitment and trust. The floors are held together with this trust and this commitment that we are committed to each other. We are committed to working on our relationship, to working on ourselves, you know, to giving each other permission to change and to grow and to, you know, working on both our individual and our shared, you know, lives together. It's about loving each other. It's about helping that love grow. Um, And it's about really just pouring that commitment into each other. So I hope you got something out of this podcast today that you can take and implement. I think, you know, I'm always surprised by how much can shift in the climate of a house when people are willing just to kind of warm things up a little bit, right? So just putting a little bit more intentionality in being kind and considerate and thoughtful and appreciative with your partner or spending a little bit more time pouring into them how much can shift in a pretty short amount of time now this is not accounting for things where there's been a huge breach of trust like infidelity um so that, you know again with things like that you are going to likely need the support of a therapist to kind of work through some of those bigger issues. But in terms of just like day-to-day, like let's make our household a little bit happier place to be. We all have power to do things that will shift the climate. I'm just thinking about, you know, like when you come in, if you have a dog, your dog likely likely like greets you at the door and is like all over you, so excited and happy to see you. And when we're dating, we do that. And then I think it's easy in a long-term relationship to – you know, to stop doing that. We stop meeting them at the door. We stop walking them to the door when they're leaving. We stop maybe greeting them in the same way. And so I would just encourage you, like how good does it feel if someone greets you at the door and gives you a big hug and a kiss and, you know, or tells you how much they're going to miss you. And so just I would really encourage you to see like what are just little things I can do and do it as a case study. Like does this really heat, like warm things up in our house? Does it make it feel a more pleasant place to be. And it's also okay to ask for these things from your partner. You might even want to share this episode with them. So they also have some ideas of things that they can do to contribute to a more happy, healthy, you know, relationship and house. So if you found something helpful today, I would so appreciate you sharing this episode. Um, You can always tag me on social media. My handle on Instagram is jen.ally.therapist. And I also would really appreciate if you could leave a review. That is how we will get more people to listen to this podcast as we're all working on our mental health and relationships. So thank you so much again for taking the time today to listen. And I will look forward to seeing you back next time.